This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday. Before we get into today's episode, and we've got a good one, I want to say a big thanks to Mike Adams for stepping in last week and hosting the show in my absence. He did a great job, and I know it's always good to hear from folks who have been in this industry a time or two. So thanks to Mike Adams for jumping in. This week, we are going to be talking about all the issues that continue to impact agriculture, notably the markets there moving. Darren Newsom will be jumping in in just a few minutes to give us an update on what to expect as this week rolls along. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with Bryce Anderson at DTN Weather about the weather that is going to be moving those market prices all week long. And in segment three, our friend Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress, joins the show. We're going to talk about what has happened in Washington, D.C. over this past week. There have been some updates to disaster programs, and we're continuing to see some political fallout from rail labor disruptions with the Class 1 railroads. Jackie's been keeping track of that. She'll provide an update. We're going to close the show looking ahead, not to Farm Progress show, which is coming next week, but two weeks later, it's Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska. Our friends at Chief Industries will bring us a preview at the end of the show today. Before we jump into all of that, let's get to Mr. Darren Newsom. Darren, thanks for joining us here this week. Oh, well, appreciate you having me on again, Mike. Let's talk. I want to talk about what's going on in the markets with the grains later on this week, Darren. Before we do that, we did get some data from uh, the USDA on Friday. I know you love chatting up USDA reports. That cattle on feed came out at the end of last week. Darren, any surprises in there for you? No surprises. Um, You know, we had, we, we still have a lot of cattle on feed. Placements were on the higher end of, of what we might have been expecting, and marketings were low. So I mean, add all that together, you got, and you have, uh, yeah, you still have a lot of cattle on feed as of August one. Interesting. I mean, key to remember this as of August one. If we go back and we look at what happened with future spreads over the course of July, it it fits. I mean, we we've seen bearish uh, cat live cattle future spreads for months on end now. Did they grow a little less bearish during, during July? Yes, but it didn't change the fact that the, that the spreads were still telling us we've got lots of supply of cattle. So when the cattle on feed report comes out and, and it shows the numbers that it did, uh, basically it just confirmed, don't really need confirmation, but it confirmed what we knew all along with the spreads. With that being the case, Darren, heading into the fall, seeing these high consumer prices throughout the economy, are you growing concerned about the cattle market, given the fact that we did have such a large placement figure? No, um, because Newsom's rule number 4A, market rule number 4A, a market that can't go down won't go down. And there is something holding up this cattle market. I mean, we've, we've had bearish supplies, again, for months on end, but demand just doesn't want to break. Boxed beef numbers are staying strong. And what's really interesting is if we look at the latest CFTC commitment to treasury report, and again, folks, if, if you're not familiar with this, the only one you really need to follow is the legacy futures only. Everything else is just kind of nonsense. But just to keep it as simple as possible, look at legacy futures only. And they continue, the non-commercial side, the investment side of the market continues to add not a long futures positions in both live cattle and are starting to do it again in feeder cattle. This is interesting. Given the fundamental picture has been bearish for so long, funds continue to buy. Why? Supplies remain, excuse me, demand remains strong. We're not seeing that panic, oh, we can't buy beef anymore, this, that, and everything else. Box beef stays firm. Non-commercial traders continue to buy. There just doesn't seem to be this you know, this great groundswell of, oh my gosh, everything's going to fall apart because of inflation. We know there's inflation. There's inflation everywhere. But that doesn't necessarily mean the economy's terrible. People are still buying beef at this point. They are. And Darren, you mentioned that commitment of traders uh, report showing those growing long positions in cattle. We're also seeing growing long positions in the corn market again. What's changed for those non-commercial investors to want to jump back into corn? Nothing really, except for we got through the July 
I should say there's a couple things that happened. We got through the July round of uh, Federal Reserve meetings where they raised their interest rates. So we knew that was coming. Kind of kept uh, kind of kept a lid on some enthusiasm in, in you know, the commodity investment as a whole. And then we got through that first week of August. We moved into the first week of August and got through it. You know, famous for the for the golden enroll, but a lot of funds are, are moving from the September issue to December. And, you know, as a general rule, the investment traders don't like to mess with the silly contracts like September corn, August and September soybeans. So they pulled out. They 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 weren't in the market that much until they didn't have to mess with that nearby September anymore. Once the roll started to occur to the December futures contract, we started to see uh, non-commercial traders getting interested again. Now, they've been doing some buying, as you pointed out, the last few weeks, but it isn't that big, you know, a big move back into the market that one would expect given the fundamentals, given the the long-term bullish fundamentals of corn. I think it could come back. It just hasn't so far. Uh, There's other markets of interest uh, that that are pulling money, that's pulling money away from uh, you know say corn soybeans and so on, but I think at some point it will get there. Now it'll probably be once the combines start rolling, and we just realize again what the spreads have been telling us for months: production's not going to be what's expected, and the supply demand situation is going to be tight again for the 2022-23 marketing year. Darren, there's going to be a lot of talk this week, a lot of noise in the market about production this year as scouts enter the field to to do their crop tours across the country. What are you watching in this week of noise? What are you watching for an anchor of of real information? Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, I'll get uh, much better, much better information as far as crops go from that program. Uh, no, I mean seriously, there there are some scouts out there who do know the difference between a cornfield and a soybean field. So, I mean, we can certainly see what that, because it will be interesting to see on, to get some on the ground feedback. I had a good friend who took part in a private tour last week uh, across, uh, I believe it was central and western Illinois. And basically he told me, he summed it up in one sentence, the crop isn't there. This week we also have Top Flight Green Cooperative. They're, they're doing their private tour uh, for Illinois as well. And I'll be interested in what they find, but by and large, I'm not interested in what the tour, how it massages its numbers at the end to come up with some sort of, you know, USDA friendly figure. It doesn't, that doesn't interest me at all. But, you know, the day-to-day reports from people who actually know what they're looking at, that'll be interesting to track, at least from a distance. I'm not going to be waiting for each and every update uh, by no means, but... Well, Darren, in the meantime, of course, that's the supply side. We'll see what happens when the combines run. In the demand side, basis staying strong across the countryside here in corn? Yes. Uh, we, have, we have a strong basis. It's weakened, but that's just normal for this time of year. But if we start comparing what, what I'm seeing with the, with the Bar Chart National Corn Basis Index, which is national average cash, uh, actually basis, uh, an average basis, and what we see as we start moving towards the beginning of the first uh, of the next marketing year, which would be you know late next week, next uh, next week after Friday's close will be you know the first one of the new year. Waiting to see what that number is because it can really be strong to start the new year with. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll check back in with Darren Newsom after that drops. Darren of DarrenNewsom.com. Thanks for joining us here today. All right, thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk with Bryce Anderson of DTN Weather here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. 
Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's hard to believe it's already Monday, August 22nd, but here we are, and it's time to take a look at what to expect weather-wise in the week ahead. Joining me this week is Bryce Anderson, Senior Meteorologist at DTN Progressive Farmer. Bryce, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you. Let's start first and foremost with who's going to be getting some moisture this week. Bryce, uh, looking at the radar right now, looks fairly clear across the Corn Belt. Is it expected to stay that way? Well, it, it, yeah, it uh, certainly is going to be a, a drier week uh, here in the Corn Belt uh, after uh, that uh, last week where we had uh, some pretty heavy rainfall that uh, moved across uh, even some of the drier areas of uh, the western Corn Belt especially. I mean, last week, uh, it was really varied, but uh, there were rainfall totals of anywhere from about a half to uh, two or more inches uh, that uh, developed in parts of western Iowa uh, into northwestern Missouri, uh, also in uh, parts of eastern South Dakota, southwest Minnesota, and then uh, you get a little bit further east, and uh, it was more in the range of, I'd say, about three-tenths to an inch and a half. Um, but the, the takeaway there was that for mid-August, you know, that's uh, quite useful moisture, certainly for soybeans. Um, but along with that, uh, corn can still uh, use some of that late-season precip. Uh, so it was a good week in that respect. And now this week, there's going to be a, a definitely quieter tone because uh, this moisture inflow that uh, we saw a week ago has kind of gotten localized into the southern tier of the country. Uh, so here in the Midwest and then through the Northern Plains, uh, there will be a few local disturbances that kick up, you know, showers, I'd say a tenth to a half 
maybe an occurrence or two of uh, locally heavier, but not much more than that. But a big feature for this week is that temperatures are going to be pretty seasonal. In fact, uh, we're going to have parts of the upper Midwest now where highs are only in the uh, mid-70s uh, for a couple days here. Not bad at all. Uh, temperatures uh, elsewhere are going to be in the mid-80s uh, again for the uh, last uh, half of August. Uh, that's a pretty mild temperature trend. So quieter, a few showers kind of off and on, but uh, pretty benign. And uh, after last week, it's going to be a, a pretty decent situation. Good. Some good opportunities for folks to get outside, get some things caught up. Bryce, I'm curious because we have had a fairly quiet tropical season so far this year, but we saw over the weekend that uh, Gulf system set up, move into Texas. Are we entering a period where we could see more Gulf moisture making its way north? Well, I I think there's going to be a continued inflow uh, out of the Gulf and even out of the Caribbean uh, into that southern tier of states, but but uh, kind of uh, a problem there, Mike, is that there's a an old stationary frontal boundary uh, kind of hung up in north central Texas and then uh, extends east, uh, you know, through about uh, oh I would say around Jackson, Mississippi. And then uh, east uh, into central Georgia, then curling north along the Atlantic seaboard. And that front is serving as a, a real uh, storm corridor, so to speak. So that uh, moisture track, you know, out of the uh, tropics is uh, running up into that front. That's where all the uh, rainfall is draining out. You know, and we saw that over the past weekend uh, where parts of Texas had record rainfall amounts. Uh, Dallas right now is uh, having a real flood problem. Uh, they had, uh, what, 10 inches of rain in six hours uh, during uh, Sunday night into early today. Uh, so where it's, it's raining uh, with that front, it is uh, raining very heavily. And then that's uh, continuing to uh, kind of track along eastward into that central delta, then through the southeast with uh, some light to moderate amounts. But you get farther north and things really shut down quickly. In fact, uh, western Kansas uh, could uh, seriously use some more precip ahead of winter wheat planting, but they're not in line for more than maybe an outside quarter of an inch during this coming week. So uh, that front is a a real barrier uh, to a lot of that moisture working further north. All right. So that's taking place there across the Gulf states in the southeastern United States. Bryce, work with me, if you would, up into the Pacific Northwest. We continue to see wildfires be an issue up there. And Montana continues to see drought expand. Do you see anything moving into that part of the country here in the the next week to 10 days? Yeah, unfortunately, not very much, uh, because uh, during the next uh, week, uh, a, a big area of upper level high pressure that you know has uh, kept things so terribly hot in the Northwest, uh, then focused, you know, all the way into British Columbia and uh, Northern Alberta and so forth, that high is still going to stick around. And uh, in the 10-day pattern, uh, we're going to see that uh, ridge extend from uh, Northern uh, Alberta, Northern Saskatchewan, all the way south to the four corners of the U.S. And uh, the the effective uh, feature with that ridge is that it uh, serves as a real block to any moisture that tries to move uh, into the northwestern U.S. out of the Pacific. You know, everything just kind of hits that and and, and stops. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, So we're going to have uh, mainly warmer and drier conditions uh, in the northern plains and then through the uh, northwest uh, during the next 10 days. And talking here about above normal temperatures, uh, possibly much above normal, and uh, precipitation that's going to be definitely below normal. And uh, that's a real concern uh, as we think about uh, this uh, coming fall season because uh, the Northwest has really struggled to get away from that influence of that blocking high over the past month or so. And it's not going to really let up before uh, we get a little bit further into September. Oh, boy. Well, Bryce, while we've got you, let's let's look a little further into September on into harvest. I know you have been tracking La Nina along with the rest of the colleagues there at DTN Weather. What are you seeing and what is developing in La Nina that could impact our weather this harvest season? Well, uh, for uh, for harvest, uh, a kind of a standing feature with La Nina in effect in the Pacific with the cool water temperatures around the equator and then the jet stream reconfiguration uh, that goes on where the 
uh, where the jet does not have a real definite track across the central part of the U.S. Uh, a real hallmark feature is that fall tends to be warmer and drier over the Midwest, and that's the way the forecast is shaping up. Sep Ocknove uh, look uh, definitely above normal on temperatures and generally below normal on precip with only the southwestern plains and then into the four corners uh, in line to have above normal moisture, and that would be because of a continued monsoon type uh, potential in that part of the country. But over the Midwest and uh, the remainder of the plains and then into the Delta, looking at a warm and dry pattern, that will be favorable for harvest, favorable for crop dry down, uh, you know, a little less money uh, spent to, uh, to run the grain dryer. And a, another big feature, of course, is that the likelihood of an early frost is very low for this year, and so that should allow crops to move all the way to uh, a full ripening phase without that uh, interference from uh, a quick cold snap. All right. Well, that's good news. So even after this frustrating growing season for a lot of folks, it might be a dry, quiet <laughs> yeah. harvest with a late frost. I mean, that's a pretty pretty picture there, Bryce. That that would that would be decent. I mean, uh, yeah. There there's no no doubt that uh, you know getting things going uh, this spring was uh, was really really an ordeal. I mean, you had uh, kind of a chilly spring, and then you had rainfall that came on here and there to to slow things down and we put up with uh, some exhausting heat. Uh, so, yeah, a, a harvest season that offers maybe a little bit of a, of a lower complication uh, scenario, I think I'd take that. Certainly. Bryce, I have seen over the past week or 10 days some pictures coming out of China showing the impact of drought in that country. Could you give us some context? How much of the Chinese drought is going to impact Chinese ag production? I think the uh, the biggest uh, uh, impact that we're going to see is on the uh, cotton and rice crops, or I should say the wheat and rice crops in China, Mike. Uh, the the uh, drought that has caused this uh, emergency declaration in China uh, with uh, drying uh, in the Yangtze River uh, particularly um, has uh, has mainly hit their, their prime wheat and, uh, and rice areas. Uh, you get farther north, uh, northeast China, where a lot of their corn and soybeans are grown, not so much. But, uh, you know, that uh, the impact on the wheat crop uh, could be enough that uh, China has to get uh, to be more of, a, of an importer of wheat relative to what they usually are. So I think that's where we could see the biggest impact. And then, again, uh, with uh, a lower rice crop, there's uh, the thought that China might uh, have to even import some rice, which is very unusual for them. That would be indeed. Folks, we've been talking to Bryce Anderson, DTNPF Senior Ag Meteorologist. Bryce, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, great to talk to you, Mike. I appreciate it. And folks, stick around. We'll check in with Jackie Fatka when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look at what's going on in the grain and oil seed trade to start the week, soybeans and meal are a bit firmer to start. While the wheat markets and corn are lower, wheat is lower on the advancing harvest and surging dollar, as well as we see the corn market just relatively quiet, losing its early morning gains here after we saw overnight strength a little bit in the corn market, and we've turned our way lower here as we work through mid-morning trade. Now, equities and crude oil, they're moving lower on fears of a worsening global economy as inflation remains a problem. Crude oil down 393 a barrel, 86.84, with the Dow Jones down 410 points, NASDAQ down 245, and S&P futures are down 63 here this hour. A lot of eyes in the grain and oil seed trade will also be on this week's Midwest Crop Tour as they'll be watching to see what the tour finds for corn ear health and soybean pod count. The western leg of the crop tour has thus far highlighted the anticipated production problems in the plains, but we've seen more problem areas than anticipated highlighted in the eastern Midwest thus far. However, it's still early and we'll get a better perspective as the week goes on. This week's tour should provide the best perspective to date on the health of the Midwest corn and soybean crops although there are other tours happening as well, and there's just a lot to take in with some of this data we'll be getting this week. Right now in the trade, December corn seven lower, 616 at a quarter. November beans up one and a half, 1405 at a half. Chicago beats September down three quarters, 752 at a half. September KC wheat down one and a half, 843 at a quarter. Spring wheat September four lower, 870 and three quarters. Lower action in the livestock trade, a reaction to the bearish cattle on feed report. August live cattle down 50, 141.10. August feeder cattle now 35 higher, 181.85. October hogs down 12 at 93 even. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We are going to be talking D.C. next, heading out to Washington, D.C. with Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be back. Let's talk first and foremost, one of the issues under discussion in Washington for the better part of this past year, Jackie, has been supply chain disruptions. Most recently, it's been with the railroads. Talk to me about how President Biden is getting involved with this dispute. Yeah, so President Biden actually stepped in and, and established what they call the Presidential Emergency Board. Um, and this was a board that basically looked at what the rail companies were offering and then what the union was wanting. And so the thought is to have a, uh, you know, a non-partisan uh, look at what this would mean and also to just to try to provide a uh, a middleman to to help with these negotiations. And so they they submitted a report and and now they basically gave it to both of those parties, the rail parties and the union and said, all right, well, this is what you both have proposed and this is what this presidential emergency board is proposing. So now they've got a 30 day period to kind of look at it, evaluate it and decide on whether they will accept what this presidential award emergency board suggested or if they will go into a strike or lockout. And that is huge. Jackie, I'm curious, why is the president getting involved in a labor dispute between uh, union members of, an of a railroad and the railroads themselves? I mean, this has been ongoing for some time, hasn't it? 
Well, and I think that's part of the reason why they had to step in. And, you know, we've had times where we've had it, big issues with ocean uh, union workers um, that are working at the ocean shipping out west. You know, this is um, a lot of times we have these situations where sometimes we just need to have somebody step in and, and kind of maybe get them to look a little differently at what's really being proposed and, and and trying to come together to reach an agreement. And so I think that's why the president stepped in. But obviously, we all know how important the rail is in being able to to get our products across the country. And so obviously, I think that's probably a big reason why the president stepped in, because he realized that if this continues to go on, there's going to be repercussions and, and really not very good for the overall economy of the U.S. And so here we are, several years of labor discussions between the union and the railroads haven't resulted in anything. And now, Jackie, I mean, it's it the rubber meets the road here. If they don't agree, as you mentioned, what, by September 16th, class one railroad employees could go on strike. Is that right? It, that's exactly right. And so and, you know, really what the recommendations were, you know, the one is um, the two sides are almost nine billion dollars different on what they're proposing. But when it comes to wages, you know that uh, this board basically just went right down the middle. Like, okay, you've got this way and then you've got this way. Let's let's meet right here halfway. Um, and also some, you know, recognition bonuses and some healthcare premiums. So things that are not like out of line, but I really do think hopefully they can get an agreement. But um, if if it doesn't, then Congress may need to step in. Congress may need to step in and, and take some action to prevent a real stoppage if an agreement is not reached by September 16th. Um, obviously, we all know how important those rails are once harvest hits. And, you know, September 16th, especially there in the Midwest where things are really dry, we could see a lot of soybeans starting to head out west on on rail to to get across. You know, we've got a lot of a lot of rails that fill up in our fall time with grain and soybeans. And so making sure that we have that shipping flowing is really, really important. It certainly is, Jackie, because a lot of those beans are headed to West Coast sports to move to Asia. The corn is headed down to the Gulf to move over to wherever it might be going. Trade matters. And I understand that has also come up here over this past week as state fairs have been going on around the country. I understand there was a Farmers for Free Trade event at the Iowa State Fair. What was under discussion? You know, so this is always, I, I mean, I'm an Iowa native. And so actually it's its really sad because I live here in Ohio. And let me tell you, the pork chop on a stick at the Iowa State Fair is always better than at the Ohio State Fair. Good pork producers, both places, but they must not be the same because I, I really do love my Iowa pork chop on the stick. And I don't know, Catherine Ty, the U.S. Trade Ambassador, did make it to the State Fair. I did not see a picture if she actually had a pork chop on the stick, but man, she should have. But she did hear from some farmers. She was at an event. In, in Iowa, as well as at the State Fair. Um, and, you know, that was one of the topics that was talked about with her, obviously, uh, the importance of ag and the importance of trade to continue that and just making sure that farmers are, um, are letting her know about the importance of trade and continuing to push on some of these trade issues that are outstanding. Um, and, you know, one of the big ones, we pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, and, and the trade world has not stood stood still is is what the president of the board of the Farmers for Free Trade, Steve Noah, said. And, and that's so true. Right. You know, we're seeing all these trade deals going on around us um, and in what the U.S. is doing and the approach that they're taking is it is starting to get um, is starting to come back and putting us more at a competitive disadvantage. Um, and so that's something that 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 we've heard, you know. Uh, also, at the Illinois State Fair, uh, Representative Ch Sherry Bustos was hearing about the importance for trade promotion authority. And, you know, that's something that some of us inside the circles we know a lot about. That's basically the legislation that allows the trade representative to go around the world, negotiate a deal and bring it back to Congress for an up and down vote. When we don't have trade promotion authority, you know, it doesn't really give much weight to some of those trade discussions. And so there's no trade deal that can really happen if you think that everybody in Congress can put their finger or, or propose amendments to change it. And so, you know, that was something early on when Secretary Vilsack came into his position at the Secretary of Ag here in the Biden administration was calling for the renewal of trade promotion authority. And, and we've just not heard very much of that. And so that's expired. There's nothing on there, but we're starting to hear more from that. And rightfully so from those Midwest producers, because they understand that we need more trade deals. We need more than just some of these kind of little one-off side, um, you know, just minor, minor discussions or trying to kind of iron out some of the 
the rough spots, I guess you'd say, without taking a really comprehensive look at some of these nations and, and regions where we could really expand trade more exclusively. And Jackie, I'm trying to remember as I think back during the Trump administration, as Robert Lighthizer was negotiating the China trade agreement, did he have trade promotion authority? Did it expire after the Trump administration ended? So really NAFTA was the biggest one that used what required trade promotion authority. Um, the deal that was done with China did not actually require a congressional vote. Um, so it wasn't necessarily expired, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, it did expire. Um, that's why I'm trying to think. It sure. needed to be expanded. I, 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 it's a, it was a five-year thing. Um, and they basically had ex done an extension to really vote on NAFTA because NAFTA required a vote by Congress. The China deal that Trump did did not require a vote. The Japanese deal that we did did not require a vote. And so sometimes it's the components that are within that. This The Indo-Pacific Economic Framework that the current administration is exploring, how, how they are approaching it is also not necessarily a trade deal that would require an up and down vote. It's more just kind of establishing the ground rules, I guess you could say, of, of things. And so that was kind of what some of that China um, deal was too. It was, it was basically a, a framework of, okay, well, we're going to do this if you do this. And it was kind of a promise on both sides, but by the Trump administration with um, the Chinese government, but did not require, you know, certain law approval sure. by Congress. And that's kind of in the weeds. So I'm sorry, but no, that's there okay. is a that's difference what I was trying in, to in wonder. that too. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's turn our focus back to Washington, back domestically here to the United States, particularly at the Department of Agriculture. Jackie, disaster payments and disaster recovery have been big on the table this past uh, year. USDA updated that again. We've got some new applications going out. Yeah. You know, this. they have been trying to make some changes to how aid is going out. And so instead of, you know, a farmer who might be listening right now thinking, oh, USDA has got a disaster program. I need to go into the FSA office and, and fill out some paperwork. Um, USDA is making some changes where they're actually sending out some pre-filled paperwork to kind of help look at what they know from RMA data, what they know from your current FSA data and saying, okay, well, this producer, because they lived in this county uh, and grow this crop, probably had this storm that came through. So we're going to automatically send out this paperwork to them. Uh, and so we've had uh, just last week, they the USDA said, you know, I think we found some more producers who may have experienced some losses. So they sent out 18,000 more pre-filled disaster applications. Uh, and so they're they're continuing to try to widen that net. You know, they've already paid out $6.37 billion in emergency relief payments. Every Monday, they update those numbers. Um, they've paid that out to a total of 261,000 applicants. And those are for losses in 2020 and 2021. And, um, you know, the, the whole pot of money is about 10 billion. So I think they're just trying to make sure that they are reaching all of those people who could qualify. Um, and there may be some extra money and, and, you know, it's not like we get an extra bonus when that happens, but they just want to make sure that they are getting all that money out to who it was intended to get out to. And so that's why we have this kind of latest announcement that they've got some more pre-filled disaster applications going out. Jackie, do you think these pre-filled applications, this type of semi-automated program is here to stay at USDA? Is this a, a big upgrade they've made to their systems? You know, they've been talking a long time about, you know, IT improvements and making those changes. And I think, you know, we've seen with the COVID payments, right? I mean, farmers were getting those checks within weeks. And so we've gone from kind of a system where, you know, sometimes these farm bill program payments come a whole year after something happens. And so making these disaster payments more timely and not waiting for people to come in and then waiting to see how much money you have by looking at that RMA data that they already have. I think I think it, they would be smart to see that as more, um, you know, the norm. And, you know, they said it saved staff over a million hours of time. So wow. when we're talking about fewer people <laughs> and fewer hours in meeting, I think that's that's a win-win, right? Not only is it, it a win is. for producers, they don't have to go into the FSA office as much, but their, right. their payments are coming quicker and they don't have to stress out those folks at the FSA office as much. Good either. to know. Thank Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I know a lot of you folks over the past two or three weeks have probably had the opportunity to get out to your state fair, talk with growers, talk with the young folks in agriculture. And it's so fantastic to be able to do that. With the cool down in the forecast that Bryce Anderson talked about, boy, it's easy to get fired up about farm progress coming next week, August 30th, 31st, and the 1st of September. And then, of course, Two weeks later, the whole party moves west to Grand Island, and we are very excited to be working with our friends at Chief to bring a preview show for the farm, excuse me, the Husker Harvest Days happening at Grand Island. Joining us today from Chief, it's Brent Whitefoot. He's the district manager over there, and Brent, thanks for joining us. Are you getting excited for Husker Harvest Days? Yeah, we are. It's getting awfully close. It is. It's hard to believe it's just around the corner. Also getting fired up for Husker Harvest Days is Matt Youngman, the events director at Farm Progress. Matt, how are things looking over in Grand Island? Everything looks really good. We've had, uh, you know, it's been it's been plenty dry, but uh, that's okay in Grand Island. You've got pivots to, to bring the crop along, and all the reports I'm getting are that we're going to be in great shape for corn harvesting, tillage, haying demonstrations. All the All the crops are in perfect condition and ready to go, timing up really nicely. That is always a good thing to hear. And of course, we're going to get those crops out of the field this fall, and we're going to be doing something with them. A lot of growers might be looking to put them in some bins, and that will be a topic of conversation there at the Chief booth. Brent, bring us up to speed. What are you hearing from growers out in the countryside? Is bin demand staying strong out there? It's been an extremely good year for us. A lot of demand. Um, Things have kind of quieted off right now because it would be a really challenge to get a green bin up by fall harvest this year, but uh, we're already seeing people lay down plans for next year's crops. Yeah, it just keeps coming, doesn't it? Brent, if you would, tell us a little bit, besides the bin, what else is Chief going to have in the booth on display there at Husker Harvest? Um, we'll have some uh, aeration fans. Uh, we manufacture the Caldwell line of aeration equipment, uh, which has been a Chief brand since uh, 1975. We'll also uh, be sharing the lot. Um, I'll be hanging out in the green bin, but uh, next to us will be uh, our commercial buildings division, and uh, they'll be they have a display building there as well, and uh, they'll be featuring a power lift a hydraulic door in that building, and uh, and the fans themselves that we've got on display there will be uh, looking to make some deals on those we're we're a little lazy once we drag them over there we really don't want to drag them back home if we don't have to because we have to put them back in the cardboard boxes and get them ready to uh, shippable so we'll be making right. deals to get those sold right off the lot all right that's good to hear it's always great to talk to the folks who need to get things moved and that's what happens at husker and matt let's talk about arriving at husker for folks who have never had the opportunity to make the trip to grand island for the largest irrigated show on earth what should they expect to see what's arrival look like well we're about uh six seven miles west of grand island so we're kind of out in the country there um, you know, you can, you, all you got to do is get yourself on I-80 and then start following the signs. We've got a really great traffic control plan that'll bring you in. And, you know, for folks that might be coming from further away, it, it, it's, it's kind of cool to see how, how irrigation and, and agriculture works there uh, in central Nebraska. You're not too far from the sand hills. It, it turns into cow-calf country pretty quick when you get further west from Grand Island. But it's a, it's a beautiful drive in. And then as you approach the show, uh, it just kind of pops up out of the out of the cornfields there, west of, of Grand Island on Husker Highway, uh, and we've got we've got a really great traffic plan, and and the lanes and the parking lots are are graveled. We've we've done, you know, thanks to support from Chief and and the the local community, we've done an amazing upgrade a few years back. The facility is is probably the finest facility on the planet for holding an outdoor trade show, uh, agriculture or not, and and so we're we're really proud of it. Um, paved streets, storm sewer drainage, security fence, upgraded electricity, the internet access, you know, all these things kind of put the, the backbone in place so that the exhibitors have the tools they need to put together a nice exhibit like Chief does. 
Yeah, it's incredible to see the population of Grand Island swell so much during Husker harvest days. But of course, you are on the dividing line of that irrigated row crop ground heading east and that cow-calf ground moving west. Matt, that allows for some pretty neat cattle handling demonstrations, doesn't it? It does. You know, we, we do an amazing cattle handling demonstration. Normally, there's about nine head shoots there in, in that demo, and we've got a local rancher that allows us to, to borrow his cattle to run live cattle through those. Doc Joe Jeffries does a great job of moderating that demonstration. And then, you know, kind of also in support of, of the livestock side of things, you've got uh, stock dog handling demonstrations. They're They're working everything from ducks to calves to uh, to sheep and and so it, it's always fun and really educational to learn about the stock dogs and then uh, we've got wild horse gentling with Ron Canodal uh, through the Bureau of Land Management. They're taking wild horses and and gentling them and and so to see him work with those horses is is a really cool demonstration. So kind of all the way around livestock, you know, we've got the the seed stock uh, providers there that are exhibiting selling selling uh, cattle and and di from different breeds. You've got all the cattle handling uh, companies there, feeding, feeds, um, all, all the nutrition stuff is, is handled there. We've got a dedicated building next to the cattle handling demonstrations where uh, all those uh, 10 by 10 booths for the, the smaller livestock exhibitors are. So kind of kind of circle all the way around um, central Nebraska agriculture and, and, and certainly applicable to a wider radius than that. We'll get, we'll get folks from around the world visiting Husker Harvest Days this year. That is what a, what is so cool to bring these international visitors really from every corner of the globe to rural Iowa at Farm Progress, rural Illinois at Farm Progress, Grand Island at Husker. It is a very, very cool event to see. Brent, of course, you will be there in the booth. How can folks find the chief booth when they get to the Husker Harvest Show grounds? Brent, what do you think? Is there an easy marker? Well, obviously, the green bin with the bright red sign that says Chief on, that'll be the best one. And I don't know that we're the tallest on this ground, but we're close to it. All right, folks, keep an eye out for it. Brent will be inside, ready to answer all of your bin questions there at Husker Harvest Days. Coming up here just a few short weeks away, September 13th, 14th, and 15th. Be sure to join us there and stick around. We'll be talking the Asian Longhorn Tick on AOA tomorrow. We'll join us then, everybody. Take care. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. As you start thinking about your wheat or rye buying decisions this fall, keep in mind the commitment your seed companies are making to new seed innovations. Our Seed Innovation Protection Alliance members reinvest 15% of their sale into bringing you new genetics with improved agronomic and end-use quality traits that increase your profit potential. SEPA seed companies thank growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and seed dealers. Don't cut corners. Buy the best seed possible. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.